You may open your Bibles for an opening passage of Scripture to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Today, we want to take a little time in God's Word and have the Lord speak to us about our thoughts. Since we chose in the Garden of Eden to rebel against God and follow our own lusts, we are on a course of self-destruction. And we will destroy ourselves from the inside out. There have been those in the Roman Catholic Church that thought that if they could seclude themselves or isolate themselves in a monastery someplace, wear brown robes, chant with beads all day, and have a vegetable garden, that they could walk closer to God. But there's one problem. They took themselves with them. And as long as you've got yourself around, you're in trouble. Because we are all on a path of self-destruction with thoughts that war against the God of heaven and against his word and even against us. Satan knows that his future is destruction, and so he does all that he can to destroy others with him. Brethren, our purpose today is to think about our thoughts, about ourselves, about others, and about the Lord, and let the Word of God teach us how we ought to think, what we should not think, and how we can accomplish it through the strength and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us this. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You have an adversary. You have an enemy. You have someone that is out to destroy you, and it is the devil himself. The antidote is to be sober. Isn't it interesting that the Word of God is so consistent with itself? I've already railed against amusement parks and young people amusing themselves because the Bible says to muse instead. But here it says to be sober. That is to have a serious, sincere, committed, grave outlook on life. That we are in a serious conflict for our souls. And then it says to be vigilant. Not to ever give up looking for the enemy because he's around at all times. Be sober, be vigilant. Because this adversary wants to devour us. And he he will devour you by throwing fiery darts of thoughts into your soul, into your mind. And if you allow them to land there and you don't quench them with the shield of faith, they're going to tear you up from the inside out. Some people think more than others, and so they're even more vulnerable than those that don't think as much. I don't care if you call it melancholies or moodiness or immature or meditative. You can call it whatever you will, but if you spend a whole lot of time with your tracks turning about thoughts inside, you're on a course for destruction unless you arrest them with the Word of God and think holy and noble thoughts. The Bible's pretty plain about thinking and what it can do to you. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
We are in a spiritual warfare. The devil has got many distracted in the past with an outward warfare. There were crusades. Can you believe it? European kings would send their armies to obey the Pope's call to go and rescue the city of Jerusalem from the Muslims. What a waste of time. Who cares about the city of Jerusalem on earth? The Lord Jesus Christ didn't. He walked out of that city the last time and said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And then he leveled it to the ground with the Roman armies in 70 A.D. And the rest of the New Testament is spent telling us that our Jerusalem is in heaven. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. It's the Jerusalem that Abraham sought. And it's the Jerusalem that Jesus Christ dwells in even at this very moment. And all the spirits of just men made perfect are there. And all the host of heaven is worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and thanking Him and praising God for the blood of His Son. That's our Jerusalem. Men have been engaged in political campaigns. Ministers of God preaching against the social ills and the political errors of a nation. What a waste of time. Paul never spent one sentence on such things because they are a devilish distraction. We have an adversary, and it's not communism. We have an adversary, and it's no conspiracy in our government. Our adversary is the devil. And to the degree we get distracted in fighting windmills, that's all you're doing when you're fighting City Hall, you're wasting your time and you're going down. You will never amount to anything in the sight of God. To amount to something in the sight of God, we have to fight that warfare of the devil attacking us. Come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's look at a few verses that the Bible gives us that tell us that our thoughts can destroy us. 2 Corinthians 4, 8. This is the apostle writing, our brother Paul. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Look at those four little descriptions with me. We are troubled on every side. You are never going to have the troubles that our brother Paul had. Never. His, his resume is given to us in the Word of God so that you can take comfort in it that you, you don't have troubles as bad as he did. He said, we are troubled on every side. You might be troubled on one or two sides. He was troubled on every side, and yet look what it says, yet not distressed. Do you know how we say the word distressed today? We say, I'm bent out of shape. Engineers know all about stress. Structural engineers know all about stress. Men that build bridges out of toothpicks and matches know about stress. This is distress. This is stress, and distressed is to be pressed out of shape. We're not distressed. We don't get bent out of shape, and we use those words sometimes, don't we? We shouldn't get bent out of shape. Our shape should hold up. And what should our shape be? A Christian that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and has his faith and trust in God and is not moved by troubles. We are troubled on every side, but not distressed. We may get stressed, 
but we don't get distressed. We don't get bent out of shape. We are perplexed. We may have questions. We may not know what to do for a moment, but not in despair. We don't say that I can't figure it out. I'm not going to know what to do. It's all over. I'm never going to be able to do what is right. This isn't going to work itself out. The Lord can't help me here. No, we may get perplexed with questions, but we don't fall into despair. Persecuted. We will have enemies that turn against us for the gospel's sake. But not forsaken. Even though enemies are hating us, we would never come to the point where we would say, God has forsaken me. We know that we're not forsaken. Do you see how the apostle is drawing a very distinct line? I will go this far, but I will not go across this line. And he's doing it in four different ways. Persecuted, but not forsaken. I know the Lord is still with me. Cast down, but not destroyed. You can get discouraged, but don't let it destroy your Christian conduct and your Christian character. Don't let it destroy your faith and your activity in serving the Lord. The Lord knows we're going to be troubled. He knows we're going to be persecuted. He knows we're going to be perplexed. He knows we're going to get cast down. But the apostle draws a line that in our thoughts, we don't cross the line and let it twist us out of shape, destroy us, cause us to doubt God's promise about him never forsaking us, or to be destroyed so that we are no longer effective for the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. That's the Bible lesson. Can thoughts destroy you? Yes. If you get distressed... If you believe you've been forsaken by God, if you fall into despair or you get destroyed, your thoughts have destroyed you. Turn to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15. We are Bible Christians, so we keep turning the pages of our Bibles to find what God has said to us in his word about how we ought to think. Proverbs 15 and verse 13. Can thoughts destroy you? Let's talk about our countenance. How your body and face look this morning. Are you standing upright? Are your shoulders back? Is your head held high? Not in personal pride, but in love of God and thankfulness for all He's done for you. Is your face shining? Are your eyes glowing? Or are your lids drooping? 15.13, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. This is a proverb. Solomon is giving us an observation from life in this short little expression. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. Where does a merry heart come from? It's a choice to have a merry heart. Happiness is a choice. Happiness is not circumstances. Happiness is a choice. It's a commandment in the Bible. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. Rejoicing is a choice. And if you've got that choice starting in your heart, where your thoughts are located, then it's going to show itself in your body and your face. This is the word of the Lord. This is an observation of the inspired wise man. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. If you allow your thoughts to run you down to where you're destroyed, then your spirit is broken. There is no vitality or drive or energy left to do the things God wants you to do. Verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. 
All the days of the afflicted are evil. Now this man that's afflicted in verse 15 is not afflicted so much from the outside as he is afflicted from the inside. All the days of the afflicted. That's a person that goes around saying, this isn't going right, that isn't going right, nothing's turning out, everything's terrible. He's afflicted. He's afflicted himself. This isn't afflictions on the outside because that wouldn't match up with the second half of the verse. The second half of the verse says, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. We're talking about the heart attitude and the inside outlook on life. If the inside outlook on life is merry and cheerful and thankful in the Lord, then you can live a continual feast. You're at a party 24-7. A party in the Lord. But if you let that heart sink, and all of a sudden you're looking at my life, nothing's working out, my life, everything's so bad, oh, poor me, all the days of the afflicted are evil. Your whole life is ruined. You've ruined your life. No one else has ruined your life. No one can ruin your life in this respect except you. Paul and Silas could be thrown into the innermost dungeon and chained up, naked and bruised and beaten from having been whipped in the streets of Philippi, and yet they're singing praises and thanking God in the prison. We have a song, and we sang it last Lord's Day, that prisons would palaces prove as long as Jesus Christ is there. This is the word of the Lord. Can thoughts destroy you? Yes, they can tear you down. And we have to stop them. We cannot let, in verse 15, a few evil circumstances tell us that we're just afflicted and we're just messed up and nothing's ever going to work out and our lives are over. You've just destroyed yourself. Go ahead and be the unhappiest person on earth. What a miserable choice. You can choose to have a continual feast by a merry heart. Because you know what? There's always just one billion things that are good in your life. Just a billion. All you have to do is count the first ten, and you'll be blessed. Look at chapter 17 and verse 22. We're answering a question right now. Can thoughts destroy you? The Apostle Paul knew that they could destroy him. He would get cast down, but he wouldn't let them destroy him. I suppose that after preaching and leading churches... And having messengers arrive that your churches had already fallen into heresy, there'd be a temptation to be discouraged. Don't you think? Yeah. But he, and he would get cast down, but he wouldn't get destroyed. He'd ask for a pen and a piece of paper. And we would get 1 Corinthians out of our brother. Are you with me? He didn't get destroyed. He didn't quit, did he? What an example we have in the Word of God. Proverbs 17, verse 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Look at the effect your thoughts can have on your life. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. But a broken spirit drieth the bones. You know, there's nothing in the Bible about food supplements. But there is something in the Bible about a merry heart. And what's the merry heart that the Bible recommends? Is it merry in the mirth of this world, or is it merry in the goodness of God and His kindness toward us? Amen. You know the answer to that rhetorical question. 17.22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. It will dry you up from the inside out if you do not control your thoughts. 18.14, Proverbs 18.14, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? 
You know, when someone lets their thoughts get to them, so they're moping around, discouraged, complaining, whining, moody, hiding in bed. Who can bear that? Who can put up with that broken spirit? And it's a choice. It's a choice. Because the opposite choice is to have a spirit that is not destroyed. It might be cast down a little bit, but it will sustain his infirmity. The Apostle Paul was sustained even while he was being whipped. Even while he was being beaten. While he was being stoned. While he was in prison. While he was in a shipwreck. He was sustained by his spirit because his thoughts were trusting in the Lord. You have this mechanism inside you that is always contributing thoughts. You don't have to think about them. You are separate from your thoughts. You can say, I don't believe that. That isn't right. I'm not going to think that way. Those are thoughts from the devil. Those are fiery darts to discourage me. I'm going to put up my shield of faith. I'm going to trust and believe God, and I'm going to go forward. You've had James chapter 3 read to you. Let's look at it just briefly. James chapter 3. We're still answering the question, can thoughts destroy you? Yes, they can, and the Bible is very plain. Elijah, I mentioned him last Lord's Day. He calls fire down from heaven and burns up that altar and its offering. He kills 950 prophets. He has the greatest revival that we can read about in the shortest period of time in the Old Testament. And yet the next day, when he hears news that Jezebel wants to kill him, he sits down under a juniper tree and says, I'm no better than my dad. I'm no better than my fathers. I'm the only one left in Israel. Just go ahead and kill me. Now that's getting destroyed. But the Lord is merciful in that case and came and rescued him from himself. And you know, the Bible wants us, wants us to know that he was subject to like passions as we are. You know how, com- how much comfort there is in that? We, we sometimes think the same way. And so we can take a, a short measure of comfort, then we need to get to work and get up from underneath the juniper tree, grab a chainsaw, cut it down so we can't ever sit there again, and go do something for the Lord. That's what he wants us to do. Look at James 3. I have told you of the personal importance of these in my life when they were laid upon me as a late teenager. James 3.14. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. The bitter envying and strife, bitterness, envy, jealousy, irritation, anger at other people, and fighting It's not outward here. It's in your heart. James 3.14 is talking about what's inside. Your bitter thoughts and your envious thoughts, your malicious thoughts, and your fighting spirit is inside. And look what it leads to. It leads to confusion and every evil work. It will destroy you. It leads till you're confused and you don't know what's up or down or where to go. And it brings all sorts of other evil works into your life. And out of that wicked heart comes the terrible words that are described in the first half of this chapter where it says the whole course of nature is set on fire by our tongues. You open your mouth and let some of that wicked heart where that devilish wisdom is hiding and to come out on your tongue and the things that you say will set on course the whole f- the, the, will set on fire the whole course of nature. It will destroy your whole life. And it started in your heart. 
Thoughts can destroy you. Last Lord's Day, we spent our time thinking about thoughts about yourself. You need to examine yourself and think about and, and measure those thoughts and commend them or condemn them by what the Word of God says. If you're thinking too haughtily about yourself, then crush yourself because the Bible has no place and God has no place for a man who thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, as the Bible puts it very plainly and bluntly. If you're thinking that you are nothing and God can't use you, he's forsaken you, and you're just a failure and a loser, that is just as foolish and evil on the other side. God is able to use you. He could use Balaam's ass. Why can't he use you? He can use you. And do not beat yourself down. You're a child of the king, and the king is able to lift you up and accomplish things through you. Do not let the devil defeat you in either direction. But we need to move on to thoughts about others. Those are thoughts about yourself, and you need to examine your heart. And when those thoughts pop up into your mind, you need to get rid of them. You need to believe God. Don't believe yourself. The person that's lied to you the most is your own heart. Right. I've said this so many times, but do we really believe it? The heart is deceitful above all things. Right. Your heart doesn't deceive me. I've never heard your heart. Your heart deceives you. Right. And your heart is deceitful above all things. And the terrible sin and the terrible crime is you believe your heart. Call it a liar. That's a lying thought. That disagrees with the Word of God. That is contrary to what I've been taught from Scripture. That is a lie. I am not going to believe lies. Now shut up. And I'm going to think a holy thought. I'm going to think a noble thought. Doesn't Philippians chapter 4, 8 tell us to think on things that are noble and pure and virtuous and good and so forth? Those are the things we're to think on and shut that heart up. But see, that heart is in each one of us. We have a real conflict going on every day, and the devil is right there to help us listen to our heart by throwing fiery darts at us. Lord, have mercy upon us, because it leads to confusion in every evil work. Believe God. Examine your thoughts. Pray that prayer that you found in Psalm 139 last night, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any of that bitter envying and strife from James chapter 3 in it. Try me and know my thoughts. Lord, I want you to examine all of my thoughts and lead me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the word of the Lord. That's what we ought to pray. That's what we must pray. And we must pray it on a regular basis. Believe God. Examine your thoughts. Rule your thoughts by... Rejecting the lies, think the noble and holy thoughts of God's Word, emphasize thanking over thinking. Instead of thinking about your predicament in life, thank the Lord for all the good things in your life. You'll, you'll pull yourself out of that downward spiral. You'll find a fire escape from the stairwell. And you can get outside yourself. Just thank the Lord instead of thinking. There's nothing virtuous about thinking unless you're thinking what the Bible tells you to think. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of memory. It's a waste of capacity. It's a waste of your operating system. Shut it down. 
thank the Lord. Go do something for someone else. Get outside of yourself so that you're not thinking about poor little you. Go serve another. The Lord will deliver you. Do your duties and serve others and God will deliver you. Let's look at thoughts about others. James chapter 2. Yes, we could go for weeks talking about all sorts of specific examples of how we ruin ourselves with thoughts about ourselves, but we need to move on. Let's think about our thoughts about others. We had some wonderful passages of Scripture read to us. 1 Corinthians 13 is the great love chapter. We'll be there in a moment. Philippians chapter 2, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us an example of how to esteem the things of others more important than our own things. James chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. What that verse is saying is, my brethren, do not follow the doctrine and gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and along with that, have the twisted perversion of respecting different kinds of people. The two don't go together. Jesus has saved all kinds, and according to the testimony of God's word, he has saved more of the ugly kind than he has the beautiful kind. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? That is evil thinking. And while we could take the rest of our time on this one point, because it is dealt with quite a bit in the New Testament, here's the rule. When you think about the people that God's given us in this assembly, they are all kinds, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of families, all kinds of temperament, all kinds of professional training, all different levels of success. It's a wide variety. And it's very easy for us to get haughty and to look down on someone that's different than we are. So the first rule about thinking of others is to accept them all in Jesus Christ as the sons and daughters of God. We're all in the same family. God is our Father. That is why we say blood is thicker than blood. The tie that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is stronger than any tie. Family tie can't be that strong. Jesus said, if family tie competes with your tie to me, you can't even be my disciple. Blood, the blood of Christ, is thicker than blood, the blood of family. We have to look at each other as the sons and daughters of God. It is your wisdom to look at a Whatever person in here irritates you the most and realize that's a child of God. The Lord chose that person. The Lord brought that person to this church, and I'm going to love that person. And we're going to unite this church together by loving one another. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ said, that if you give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones that believe in me, or a disciple, simply in the name of a disciple, you will not go without your reward. Right. 
Jesus didn't say, as long as you're taking care of preachers, I'll remember you. As long as you're taking care of the successful big people, the, the beautiful people in church, I will give you a reward. It's the little ones that believe in me. No matter what they come in dressed like, no matter what they may act like, no matter their backgrounds, we are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. All that stuff's going to disappear in one blinding flash of light. And we are going to be glorified in heaven as the children of God. And all the distinctions on earth will disappear in one moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Ye see your calling, brethren. Ye see your calling. Paul is telling the Corinthian church, get up and look around your assembly. You can see the kind of people that God has called to be his saints. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God has chosen the weak, the poor, the foolish, the base, the things that are nothing in the world's opinion to be his children. And here we are. Are you happy this morning to hear this message of a positive self-image? You are base. You are poor. You are weak. You are foolish. And you're nothing. So let's love one another. It's the only chance we've got of ever being loved. If we're that bad off. And we are. The grace of God has saved us. And he's chosen all those kinds for his own honor and glory that no flesh would ever glory in human accomplishment, but only glory in the Lord. Look at chapter 12 and verse 18. Where did all the members of this church come from? And all the members of every true church? Why is there such a wide variety? Why can't we put a list of qualifications out there? That unless you come from a certain part of the country, and unless you think a certain way and have a certain temperament, and have accomplished some degree of education in your life, then you're not welcome here. You know, there are churches that do that without putting it on the sign. It's just implied by who they take and who they mingle with. Not the church of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians twelve eighteen. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Everyone in this church is here because God chose them to be here. Therefore, there should be no thoughts in your head about, well, that's so-and-so, and they have this and this and this that I don't like. That's why James tore apart the idea of someone coming in an assembly and being dressed differently and getting different treatment because of that. There is to be no difference shown like that in the house of God. If you have those kind of partial thoughts, they are evil thoughts, and they do not go along with the religion of Jesus Christ. You need to lay every single one of them down. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, which our young brother read to us. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife 
or vainglory. Philippians 2, 3. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Notice, this is a condition of your mind. It's lowliness of mind. It's getting your mind down to where your thoughts about others are elevating them above yourself. You are putting down thoughts about yourself and putting up thoughts about other people. And it is a conscious choice you have to be making all the time. This is rule number two for thinking about others. Put down thoughts about you. It amazes me that anyone can ever verbalize this out through their mouth, and I've heard it before, and I know that everyone verbalizes it in their hearts from time to time. Well, I just can't believe the way I'm treated by other people. I think I ought to be treated better by other people. Why don't other people love me more? Why don't other people do more for me? I hope that makes your skin crawl, that you're hearing the voice of the devil himself. How you could ever think about you being owed something from other people. The Bible says you are to put yourself down and lift them up. You would never be asking yourself, what more can they do for me? But you would be asking yourself, what can I do for them? And that is a different, that is a totally different attitude. That other voice is from hell itself. I hate it when I hear it, and I know that it's thought, and I know that this verse is in the Bible for a reason, and it's to help you think correctly about other people. And it says, in lowliness of mind, that is a thought process, put yourself down and put others up and make them and their things more important than your own. Look at the next verse. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, there are people that you walk up to and all they can talk about, I mean, Here's the universe of possible conversational items. All they can talk about is themselves. It's always them. Poor them. Poor them. Poor them. They're never asking about other people. Here's the, here's the rule of the Bible. Get out of yourself and make other people more important than you are because they are more important than you are. Amen. We are to be servants. This is the servant mentality of following the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will save you. When you're thinking about yourself all the time, we're always going to frustrate you. Because you know what? We don't think about you. Well, now we will once in a while, but you know what I mean. If you're thinking about yourself all the time, we're never going to measure up to your high expectations for us. Because we can't think about you 24-7 like you think about you 24-7. And do you know how you can save yourself from that frustration? Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about someone else. It'll pull you right out of your problems. It'll pull you right out of your downward spiral. Get out of it and love others. Think about them. Make their things more important than your things. This isn't the only place this is taught in the Bible. This is a servant's mentality. It'll make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. and It'll save you from being unhappy. If there's one person in your life that wants you to be happy, it's your pastor. I want you all to be happy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know there's a way to get there because the Bible tells me. Amen. And it's to lift others up and make them more important than yourself. Every thought that you have about yourself is wasted energy. And it leads to frustration. Because no one is going to direct their lives to take care of you like you think we should. Do you know what the Bible says? Do you know what the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ would say? And you've heard this many times. But believe it. If you really believe it, you'll do it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
There is a greater blessing in giving for someone else than in receiving something. That's the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that more than I believe gravity. If Jesus said it, it's true. He didn't say much about gravity. Well, he did. He said if the tree falls, it'll fall where it falls. But uh, that's in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. He does say a little bit about gravity, but the point I'm trying to make is this is a rule of living with others. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Ah, that's a secret of having a successful life. Try it. This is how we think about others. Do you make their things more important than your things? You know, I've heard, I've heard uh, in my lifetime and in my work as a pastor, I've heard the complaint, well, I don't think I have any friends. No one treats me like a friend. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason. Amen. A man that hath friends, a man that is friendly will have friends. It's Proverbs 18.24. If you don't have friends, you need to get yourself in a mirror, the mirror of God's word, the mirror of instruction that comes out of this pulpit, and measure yourself. Don't measure yourself by what's going on inside here. I know what's going on inside here. It's saying to you, you're the friendliest person around. You've got so much to offer other people. You care about other people so much, and then they treat you like you're not much of a friend. That's that little liar going on inside. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. You're very selfish, and you're not a very good friend, and you make other people very uncomfortable when they're around you, and that's why you ain't got none. And that is absolutely 100% the only truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Measure yourself by God's Word. Instead of worrying about them treating you, Take the Word of God and start to practice it by being a servant toward others, and you'll be amazed. People like servants. And if you'll choose to be one, you'll have lots of friends wanting your service. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon us and help us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know after those first four verses in Philippians 2, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When it says mind, does it mean the actual metaphysical thing that was the mind of Christ or does it mean the thought process the thoughts that were in the Lord Jesus Christ I am coming to this world not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did and that's what we should do for others and it will save you from destroying yourself you will destroy yourself if you exalt your life your job your family your health And want to talk about that. Go serve other people's jobs, lives, families, and health. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 was also read to us this morning. I love hearing the Word of God read by our brethren. It was explained to you that in chapter 12, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are listed there. And the Corinthian saints are told to covet It's there. It says to covet earnestly the best gifts. The best gifts were to be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, or a pastor and teacher. Those are the best gifts. And the, the worst gifts were speaking in tongues or being able to discern tongues. I wish, I wish Benny were here. Benny wouldn't be able to hear me anyway. He would just say it's a lot of noise and clatter in there. But isn't it amazing how the charismatics and the Pentecostals all want to covet earnestly the worst gift? 
Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that tell you a whole lot about their religion right there? The best gifts are teaching gifts. Apostle, prophet, teacher. Isn't that how they're listed in verse 28? First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and then after a while it works down to miracles and things like that. Teaching is better than miracles. Don't let a charismatic lie to you. And they don't like teaching. They're sick of sound doctrine. They don't want to hear the Word of God taught. They want to slay a bunch of people in the Spirit. They want to breathe in the choir and have them all fall over dead. It's all a big sham. Let's get to what the point is. The point is in verse 31, Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. For those of you that love the Lord Jesus Christ and you wish you could serve the Lord Jesus Christ as an apostle or a prophet, I have a more excellent way of serving him, and that is the love of chapter 13. It is amazing. The, The location of chapter 13 stuck right here between chapter 12, which is all about spiritual gifts, and chapter 14, which is all about spiritual gifts, and in the middle is this love chapter. This isn't the marriage section of 1 Corinthians. The marriage section is where? Chapter 7. What is it doing here? Because if you really want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, this is how you do it. You have thoughts about others that line up with that one sentence that runs from verse 4 to verse 7. The apostle is so beautifully powerful in this chapter. In verses 1, 2, and 3, he says, If I were the greatest apostle and had the greatest faith and could speak in the greatest gift of tongues that was ever given if I understood every mystery, all mysteries, if I gave everything I owned to the poor, and if I was burned at the stake, if I did all of that, but I didn't treat other people the way that I should in the sight of God, then all of it, all of it is absolutely worthless and an irritating, clanging noise of me thinking that I'm something. Can you believe that? That is how important love is in the New Testament. What a comparison. If I don't have charity, I am nothing. My sound is irritating, and it profiteth me nothing. So what does he say? And I don't have time to preach you a message on the definition of love from 1 Corinthians 13. I've done it before, and I hope you know all these phrases well. There are 15 phrases in 1 Corinthians 13. If any two people were ever to treat each other by this one sentence of the Word of God, they would be unbelievably happy. One sentence. I'm only going to pull out seven of the 15 phrases about love. First of all, it says it envieth not. Remember the bitter envying and strife from James 3? If you have a right attitude about other people, you will never envy them. You will be excited when something good happens to them. When they have a better car than you, young people, you're thankful and excited for the blessing of God to give them a better car than you have. When someone gets better grades than you get, you're thankful and excited that they got better grades than you have. When someone is more attractive than you are and may get a little more attention from the opposite sex than you do, you are thankful that God made them beautiful. Because God has a wise purpose in making you less than beautiful. Or less beautiful, sorry. We we never envy. 
We're never irritated at the advantages that someone else might have. We are thankful and we bless and we praise God and we're excited with that person for the things that they have. Then it says it's not puffed up. I'm picking seven out of the 15. Seven that have to do with how we think about others. We don't get puffed up that we are better than anyone else. That's inside. Puffed up is inside. It's your thoughts about yourself in comparison to anyone. We esteem them to be more important than ourselves, as I've already taught. Then it says, seeketh not her own. It's never selfish. It's never looking to get what you want. It's always looking to give what they want. What a difference. Love seeketh not her own. It's not selfish. It's sacrificial instead. It thinketh no evil. Are you with me? The last part of verse 5. Thinketh no evil. Three words. Thinketh no evil. Think. See, we're talking about thoughts. Thinketh no evil. When a wise man sees someone else do something, or they hear someone else say something, they never think evil of what that person did or said unless they have to. They put the best construction possible on what the other person did or said. And this is what ought to govern our thoughts. Because I'm going to tell you something about your heart. Whatever you see someone else do, or whatever you hear them say, you want to put the worst construction on it possible in order to make yourself look better in comparison with them. We are wicked. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately kind. And desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 So thinketh no evil means when someone does something that's questionable, you never think evil. You always think righteousness. They did what was right. They did what was good. I just don't see all the details. You put a good construction on someone else. Do you know, do you know how that would save us by itself? Those three little words, thinketh no evil. But instead we think evil. This is the word of the Lord. This is the, this is the highest measure of Christianity in the New Testament. Right. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Then it says, rejoiceth not in iniquity. In verse 6, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, rejoiceth not in iniquity. When we think about others and we hear, we hear that someone got caught doing something, we hear that someone fell into trouble, we hear that someone sinned, you know, there's two ways that you can respond to that. You can be excited because someone else failed, and that makes you look better than them. You don't have charity. You're full of hate that you would ever be excited or glorying in the fact that someone else just failed. Because true love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. It is excited when someone else is doing what's right, even if that person is doing what is right better than how you do what is right. They're thankful and they rejoice in it. That's what that, those two phrases mean. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. It does not get excited when someone else fails and falls into sin. It gets excited when someone is walking in the way of righteousness and in the truth of the gospel. Believeth all things. Verse 7. Believeth all things. If you love someone, then when they do something that hurts your feelings a little bit, you're going to believe that they didn't really mean it that way. You're going to believe they had much better intentions than that. That's believing all things. You say, well, sometimes it's hard to believe that someone had good intentions when they do something toward me. So we have the last part of this, hope with all things. 
if you can't believe that they had good intentions and hope that they did, you say, is that really what all that, yes, that's exactly what all that means. And if you can't do that, even if you were the greatest apostle and gave your body to be burned and could understand all mysteries, you are worthless in the church of Jesus Christ and in the sight of God. Someone looks at the, if, if you have, if you're wise right now, you're going to look at this passage and say, well, by the grace of God, that's easy to please Jesus Christ. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. You mean all I've got to do is love others? I don't have to figure out all mysteries? I don't have to start talking like angel talk? I don't have to die as a martyr and get burned to death? All I have to do is forgive other people and overlook their faults against me and be excited about the good things that happen in their life and treat them kindly? That's all I've got to do? That's all you've got to do! Can you do it? This is thinking about others. If someone offends you, you've only got two options. You prove that you're a glorious man and you forget it. Right. Or you go and confront them by themselves, very meekly and very respectfully, and reconcile yourself to that brother. Telling others about it is not an option. Getting bitter in your heart about it is not an option. Both of those are akin to murder. The Lord would classify them under the sixth commandment because you are destroying another person's reputation by talking about him to someone else or you're holding bitterness in your heart, which is the grounds of all murder. Become an expert at forgiving, forbearing, and forgetting. It's a wonderful way to live. Remember what we're talking about. Your thoughts can destroy you. If you allow a little bit of bitterness to get started, a little bit of bitterness, it does not stay that same size. That little bit of bitterness twists your optic nerves so that you see things differently. You will then start looking at everyone's act, at that person's actions, and you will, I don't like that either. I'm going to add that to the pile of bitterness. And the bitterness is going to grow. Bitterness will eat you up from the inside out. It results in confusion and every evil work. James chapter 3. I want to tell you a secret, and it's right here in 1 Corinthians 13. I've taught it many times before, because as God is my witness, I have tried to teach you the truth and the importance of loving one another. Believe all things. Think no evil. And if you can't believe it, hope all things. And if you can't hope it, then just endure it. But forgive, forbear, and forget. I love the three F's. Forgive everyone. Well, they haven't asked me for forgiveness yet. So what? Save them the time. Forgive them without them asking. To forbear is to put up with something. Just put up with it. And then to forget that they've done anything to hurt your feelings. This is the word of the Lord. I can take you to numerous places that that tells us specifically we ought to forgive and forbear, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven and forborne us. This is how you must think about others. I'm just going to forgive them. Oh, I'm not even going to think about that. That was nothing. I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to love her anyway. Forgive and forget. It's the rule of the Word of God. And it's a glorious man. 
the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. Somebody that gets angry quickly, they're not a man to begin with, and they're certainly not a glorious man. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. It's a fool that gets angry quickly. The discretion of a man deferreth, that puts off anger. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. It is his glory to pass over a transgression. Amen. Proverbs 19.11. I love that verse. You've heard it many, many times from me. I never want you to forget it. You children, I want you to remember it. It is your glory to pass over a transgression. He gets excited about forgiving and overlooking something that someone did to him. Oh, that makes for peace in a family, peace in a marriage, and peace in the church of God. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. It's amazing to me. Does your memory, hard drive, work on all tracks equally? Or does your memory hard drive work best on things that others have done to you? Has your hard drive on things you've done to others pretty much stopped turning? Are you following me? It amazes me how sharp the memory can be on things done against a person and on how weak it is on things we've done against people. Just like the Lord Jesus taught us in these verses, Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, he said, it is amazing how you people are able to spot the moat that is in another man's eye and you want to operate. You're so excited about operating to help this person that's got a speck of dust in their eye. And you don't even recognize that you have a beam hindering your own vision. You ought to be seeking a crane to get the beam out of your own eye before you want to bend over someone and work on a speck of dust in theirs. Aren't we twisted? That's the deceitful heart in all of us, and it is desperately wicked. It will focus more on the moat in someone else's eye than the beam in our own. And the Lord Jesus Christ condemned that here in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Verse 5, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. What wisdom! What wisdom! What's the rule here? How can you have a memory and vision for other people's minor faults and you can't see your own? We ought to spend our time thinking about ourselves and our own faults and what we do to offend and irritate, hurt, and do disservice to others rather than thinking about how they treat us. It's a rule. It'll save you. It'll save our church. Your thoughts can destroy you, but you can save that yourself if you will learn to think biblically about others. One last point. What others are thinking about you can be very destructive if you ever think about that beyond just basic charity of wanting to please other people. How much do you care and worry about what other people think of you? If you let that go too far, it will consume you until where you are all messed up and you are imagining things that we are thinking about you that we're not thinking. If you want to think about what we're thinking about you, then only think so far 
as what you can do to please us, which is charity. Charity seeketh not our own. It's always seeking to please others. But to go beyond that and start speculating or imagining that we're thinking things about you can become very self-destructive. Your goal in life, and here's the rule for this particular problem, your goal in life is to please one being. And that being is the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, and he has told us in the Bible very plainly how we can please him. If you are pleasing him, you will automatically please all good men and good women, and the rest you don't need to worry about. So you can reduce it to one thought. What does the Lord think of me? And what the Lord thinks of you is put down in writing. Isn't that comforting? See, we've never had a session where we all write down what we would like you to do. You know, some churches and groups do that. It's called sensitivity training. Where we could all sit in a circle and write our anonymous thoughts on what we think you could do to make us happier. But the Lord's done it. The Lord's written perfect wisdom on how we ought to think and how we, what we can do to please Him. And so if you're pleasing Him, you're going to please all the rest of us. Don't let those thoughts become a monster in your life that chase you all the time until you start imagining things because that's the way the deceitful heart works. Once you go down that path of worrying what other people think, you will start imagining things. When I get up to read, they all think I'm an idiot. Now, I'm going to try to maintain discretion, but that gets me so angry. Where did that thought come from? Do you think that thought came from the Holy Spirit? Do you think that thought came from the loving God of heaven? Did that thought come from any single one of us? We are all brothers and sisters together in this family, and we never think anything like that. You are wicked to think that about us. That is thinking evil about us. You say, but I don't read very well. Well, we don't care. All we care about is do you love the words that you're reading? We don't care how much you stumble through them. That's just an example. That is thinking and worrying about what other people think. Just get up in this pulpit and read the precious Word of God and be thankful for the wonderful privilege to read the inspired, preserved words of Holy Scripture in our English language. Thank you, Lord. Once you start down that path, those thoughts will consume you. You'll be going around and you'll be turning away from people and walking the other way because you don't want to face so-and-so because you're so ashamed of the way you just read your passage. We're excited about the passage. We don't care about the voice that's speaking it. Look who you have as your pastor. Isn't that good enough to convince you on that point? Thank you, brother. (laughs) These are some rules on how we should think about others. Brother Red, you should have disagreed with him. (laughs) How we think about others. Brethren, if we think about others the wrong way, and I've tried to give you a little overview this morning, it will take us down. And do you know who it's going to destroy first? You will mess up the church a little tiny bit. But do you know who you're really going to mess up? Yourself. Right. Yourself. If you have twisted thinking about others. May the Lord Jesus Christ bless us to love one another and to think pure thoughts about each other, to, to esteem others and their things more important than our things, not to make any distinctions in our congregation based on any measure but the fear of the Lord and His grace in our lives. And not to worry what others are thinking, not to have a memory or a vision for their faults, but a good memory and a good vision about our own. And that will make us very forgiving. The Lord can save you. He wants to save you. 
in this very practical way. And may the Lord bless the preaching of his word to your hearts. Amen.